Hello, you are listening to a tweet 25th episode of CTOcast. Uh, today is Tuesday, October 11th of 2016. Uh, you can listen all episodes if you subscribe at CTOcast.com or in iTunes. I'm your host, Alex Stapenka from Amsterdam, and my co-host, uh, Pavel Pavlo, from Redwood City, California. Hey, Pavel. Hi, Alex. I'm happy to introduce uh, our guest, uh, Andrew Volkov, founder and CTO of WorkFusion. Hi, Andrew. Hello, everyone. We're going to start from a brief introduction of Andrew's background history. Uh, let me start. Uh, Andrew studied in Moscow Institute of Physics and Technology. In 2001-2003, worked as principal and senior software engineer in such companies as Lipstone Systems and Telcordia Technologies. From 2003 to 2004, as solutions architect in Deutsche Bank. Uh, later, as uh, head of technology IT Hacker for two years. After that, as a co-founder and chief technology officer in Freedom uh, OSS for five years. In 2010, together with Max Yankilevich, uh, Andrew founded Fusion, a platform for business process automation powered by artificial intelligence and crowdsourcing. Andrew is an author of numerous patents uh, in crowdsourcing and com- cloud computing environments. Andrew, uh, is everything correct? I think so. So this is a very broad description of uh, my biography. So I think I would only add that I'm a serial entrepreneur, and this is um, and in the business, really in the business of building the companies that are IT focused and that are, to some degree, are innovative and changing. And uh, the companies that are mostly involved in building are companies that are in what we call B2B area, which is that we service the business versus we service the end consumers. And uh, primarily the customers of most of the companies I've been involved with, and we've gone for the list, were the Fortune 500 companies, companies that are on the Wall Street, companies that are very large healthcare providers, companies that have hundreds and thousands of employees and, and do need uh, a different form of transformation in their enterprise to change the way they do things. Going from... Uh, five years ago, where we introduced open source and cloud computing environment to companies that were just doing traditional IT and, and uh, you know, their 20-year-old uh, ways of operating um, mostly manually. All right, sounds good. Uh, but uh, could you please like give probably more uh, casual introduction of you, how you got to that point, how you got from the developer sure. to work fusion? Yes, I mean, I was fortunate enough to, um, uh, after I finished my school in Moscow, to get Uh, to Tukoria, which is, uh, I don't know if you guys know, is one of the uh, essential brain factories for a company called Belcor, which is the, uh, we used to be most leading innovative company in the telecom space. And after a few months of being working there, uh, myself was invited to join a, a newly formed company called Wistone, which is, was focused on creating a new product in um, the space of making the mobile uh, purchases. Essentially, we've created the content delivery platform, which was available on very old brick phones. I don't know if you remember, but it was allowing um, people to buy ringtones, download new things, and essentially create a new commercial model in the world of mobile back in the day when the content that you could purchase were the things that you know could play music and show pictures. And um, I was there for a few years, and um, it, it was a quite successful company at the end, which was eventually acquired by a company called Motorola. And 
from there, um, my next ventures were really around uh, wandering around doing some consultant work in the bank, but really going to and you know, find a way to create now myself or with uh, help of the people whom I've met, the companies that are uh, as innovative as the first company, the first product company I worked on. And fortunately, I was I was able to meet uh, Max Mikhailovich, who's uh, a co-founder for in two companies or three actual companies I've been with. And um, a company called Freedom OSS was a services company uh, for large enterprises, which was eventually acquired by a company called Voxsoft out of uh, Russia. And after that, we started this new company. And again, always the idea about what we do was coming by us observing what's happening in a, in a, in a client base that we were. And the company that we started really came from seeing how much of very not intelligent work is being done by uh, people who sit and spend their eight hours a day, sometimes 12 hours a day, doing some very simple work, such as you know, looking at one screen and you know, taking the data from one screen and copy-pasting into another screen. So, and the idea crossed our mind is that it should be possible to really enable, uh, through the digital transformation, to turn these types of activities, this what we call digital low-level you know, labor activities into a way that the software can learn from and eventually automate. And um, and here here we are five years out, six years after now, and uh, being able to do this for quite a number of different uh, banks as well as um, insurance companies and uh, e-commerce providers. I'll be happy to dig into the details, um, but uh, feel free to ask me questions as you feel. Okay, sounds good. And could you please give um, us some understanding about what role does crowdsourcing play in uh, in WorkFusion? It's not only like machine learning, but crowdsourcing thing. Yeah, it's very important, actually. So it really comes from the idea is that what do you need to do to do the successful machine learning, right? So there is a uh, there is this. Theory hypothesis exists is that machine learning is really about uh, you know a new algorithm or about finding a new formula or a new to some degree in this area of image recognition and voice. What really needs to happen is that you really need to what we call to have a very good data. What that means is that in order for any machine to learn, it has to have a very consistent uh, representation of examples. So think of it this way, right? So if you were to uh, create a self-driving car, for example, like Google did, you would um, want to ensure that the people who is going to teach your car to drive are going to the people who are very good, consistent, and excellent in repeating the things um, that you want to teach the car to do. And imagine now you put 14-year-old kid who used to play a speed car, you uh, know, Xbox game, and, and that person now is driving the car. So obviously the, what the car is going to learn is going to be very different. So what's important is that they have very consistent, good quality data. And why I'm talking about this, because uh, really the crowdsourcing plays a significant portion in this. Because crowdsourcing, uh, this is where the original research that was done in MIT had started to really focus on how can we use the artificial intelligence to understand from the work that is done digitally where this work is good or where this work is not and where it leads to the good data or not. So the, most of the research was done using the crowdsourcing and, and obviously had led to 
us being able to create what we call an artificial intelligence manager, right? Which is essentially a number of different now patented techniques that allow us to make prediction about the quality of the work that people do digitally and most of the people really anonymously. And knowing that allows us to create this, what we call X, is the component of our platform today because in addition of being one of the key fundamental things for how we can produce a very good data set, it now allows our client base to also use what we call freelance economy to augment their needs for labor. So think of it this way. So any, any, um, any company would need, for example, at the end of the month to do maybe a little bit more work in, a, in an accounting department to process maybe payments or invoices or bills that come in. So what would they typically do? They'll, they'll staff for that, meaning that they'll have more people than they need for the most of the time in the months, and then they'll use the people that they've got because it's a fixed labor to process whatever's going to come towards the end of the month to ensure everything's done on time. And in a freelance economy, through crowdsourcing, what we allow to do is that we allow to have a lesser fixed uh, amount of people on staff and then being able to reach out to through crowdsourcing platform, various marketplaces where we can solicit, train, qualify for the use of our technology and also enable to do digital work for the client. And the type of work can be very different from anywhere, finding the information to the processing information, looking at the data. Uh, most of the time, it's, it's not really super skilled type of work, but in some cases, we even uh, were able to augment uh, such skills as uh, intelligence, intelligent lawyer, in, intelligent lawyers, or or people who have very specific skills in, for example, automotive industry and understanding the parts of engine, etc. So uh, the reach is about 30 million people that we, we can get access to, and having this component is essential to enable the companies to see how the freelance economy is one significant option digital, meaning that which they might already have with the use of their business process management systems, but also engage in the same process people who are not in the same location, not geographically uh, located near them or not even contractually bound to them on a fixed cost basis, but really get paid per output of their work. Okay, amazing. It's, a, it's an amazing introduction. So, although I, I have a question, so so like the entire automation process in your platform and in general, it consists, if I understand correctly, so it consists of multiple steps. So you need to create a model for the business process. You need to organize and manage crowdsourcing. You need to train your um, algorithms. Uh, you need to again like then apply all these algorithms and like an actual like machine workers. You need to handle exceptions and etc. So, so is your platform like WorkFusion covering all the steps, or are you handling managing only like some specific steps in this uh, automation process? Yeah, I think there are more. There are more steps to be honest, but uh, I think the power of our platform is really that you don't really have to do all these things that you mentioned to start to see the incremental benefit, right? Because if you think about a traditional approach to, let's say, you want to introduce machine learning into the project, it starts as an IT project, meaning that there is there's this analyst assigned to it, right? There's probably now a data analyst assigned to it. There's probably a SME who looks at the data and says it's good or not. There's developers who then help uh, data scientists to turn their code into a program. And there's this cycle, right, of uh, achieving these 
uh, very high standard results, meaning that making the algorithm to be super accurate or being able to do things uh, on the scale, meaning that being able to tackle lots of cases. And these typical projects are usually 9 to 12 months long, if not more, because the targets are very, very aggressive in terms of what you can do with the state of where the machine learning technology is. And because they run as IT projects, they follow traditional life cycle, right, where the software gets built with the use of all these various individuals, and then it gets deployed as part of the solution, which now also needs to be integrated into the IT systems, right? It needs to be connected to workflow system if you don't have one. It needs to be connected to the analytics system if you don't have it because you need to see the results. It needs to be connected to the human management system because some of these things still have to be done by people. It has to be connected to the data lakes because you have to get the data from places that it really resides, systems of records, and uh, it becomes a significant project on, on any meaningful scale. Because of that, lots of these projects don't get funded because if they were to solve a simple problem that 10 people do, it's just never going to make any economical sense, right? The difference with Profusion is that we do have the tools which kind of cover on one single platform all that life cycle, where... Some of these uh, things that I mentioned are done by individuals in a typical IT project, done with the use of our technology automatically. And we have patented component in our software, patented in terms of how we do it algorithmically, uh, which is called virtual data scientist. And essentially, it does what it actually says. It mimics the work of a data scientist in a significantly more efficient way. So it is able to crunch the data, is able to analyze the data, select the data, find the appropriate algorithm, and do it in a practical way uh, in a reasonable time. However, the difference here is fundamentally uh, different for the end client, uh, where once you plug in the work fusion technology and you map some portion, I mean some component of the process, not necessarily complete process, into work fusion, that what happens is that now you have certain part of it starts to run immediately from what people do. And that's where work fusion substantially different from these point solutions I described before because it essentially looks at how people do the work, collects that in the form of a high-quality data set, as I mentioned, and then uses the virtual data scientist now to uh, find an algorithm, or essentially create a model, not just find an algorithm, create a model which would do same or better as people in terms of being able to match the quality of the work. And... And in some cases, you don't really need uh, hundreds of thousands of data records. You, you can start with a thousand. You can start with a few hundred in some cases. It doesn't mean that it's going to be able to cover all of what is possible in the world, but it's going to be able to generalize enough to deliver immediate value. For example, to reduce the labor effort by 10%, 20%, 30%, and eventually may be able to get to 90 95%. But because of its way of doing this incrementally, it allows the client to get the solution that delivers value in eight to 12 weeks versus that being a month-long project. And then as client uh, engages in more and more of the process adoption, meaning that more and more of the components of the real process being mapped into the Fusion platform, it obviously expands and it creates eventually a new process and, and that the new process now has more than one uh, component which is able to learn from what people do. Interesting. And like, and how do you track, how do you manage like quality of, uh, of all these algorithms, models, and machine workers? Mm -hmm. Do you have any KPI, any metrics that um, 
helps uh, cust- that help customers to understand like what's going on? No, we don't. <laughs> of course, we. Yeah. So uh, it's it's a great question. Obviously, it starts with uh, already what I said is how do you first know that the data you have is good? The, again, the most fundamental and most critical component to any successful implementation of machine learning supervised learning is the data quality and. This is where the Workfusion's worker fitness um, patent technology comes to play. As I mentioned, it comes under the research that was done at MIT and really is focused around being able to uh, deliver a guaranteed level of quality. It means in some cases that more, same amount of work needs to be done by more than one, one person to ensure it. And it, in a manufacturing-like process, Profusion is able to track each individual who contributes to the process and then collectively come up with what is needed to ensure that this particular data record is of high quality. And that is the first part that guarantees in a statistical quality control way that the data is of certain level of requested quality that now leads to how do you uh, train your algorithm. So there is this virtual data scientist, as I mentioned, and it just basically spans off hundreds of thousands of various experiments, which essentially are then being optimized to do find the most appropriate features that you know make more sense for this particular data set and, and that produce the same type of output for what people do. And then at the end, it presents and manifests itself for clients in, in a number of different metrics. So first of all, clients can see uh, how much can be automated at, at what level of accuracy. And Workfusion presents the what we call uh, value calibration component, which allows the client to use, is that whether they, in some cases, they want to improve the quality, and at, the, at that point, that means that they're probably going to produce less uh, automation, or they want to go and say, you know what, 90% accuracy is way too much for this particular process. We, we'd be fine with 95, but if it means we can go from 20% automation to 70%, uh, risk versus reward type of change. And this information is presented on the business analyst level within Workfusion platform so that it allows that calibration to be done with the help of the business so that the decision is business driven. Because, for example, in some of the, our clients, the cost of mistake is way too high. For example, one of our clients uh, before Workfusion was deployed was um, in the area of uh, setting up the client accounts had one client who had half a billion dollar business with that with customer of us, uh, really to drop out, to leave that, that client of us because they made too many mistakes setting accounts and that client couldn't effectively trade. And even though the cost of that wasn't very high to fix, the impact was so high that eventually client withdraw from this bank that I'm talking about. And so here, the precision, which is the quality, is a significantly more important component that, that, yes, the bank still wants to see where the opportunity is for automation, but they would rather have increasing their precision, if you will, uh, versus uh, decrease, because that would allow them now to have lesser mistakes where the cost of mistakes can be a loss of half a billion dollar business. And all of these different metrics, uh, they're essentially on the machine learning level allow you to see what are the things that uh, could happen. And then there's obviously KPIs that get monitored as the process gets turned on. Once the decision about risk versus reward is made, um, 
Workfusion now starts to track the amount of work that's been automated. It shows where, what are the types of uh, work that is, you know, more automatable, what is less. It shows you how many errors are made and then allows you to uh, see that, you know, complete transparency into not only how the models perform, but also what, it, what does it do from business perspective, whether it improves SOAs, whether it improves extensive dashboarding that happens to enable that. But they're mostly business-focused. Okay. So, yeah, now it makes, now it makes sense. So, so as you described, so like you moved from like like a more traditional approach when it takes up to one year to establish like this entire process to a more agile process when you see like your customers, your clients see benefits after a few weeks. But uh, is there any way to accelerate to make faster like even your process, even your platform, or let's say on on that usually make like your process, your integration slower? Like what what does slow down? Um, application of WorkFusion mm. platform? Yeah, I think it's it's with the whole area of AI, the journey of how you get to really see that this is not, uh, this is not like, you know, <laughs> end of the day, right, from the Terminator. It's really some very useful technology that very differently, very fast is able to essentially auto-program, right, the rules, if you think about it, of how to do very routine work. And once you kind of abstract yourself out of this as being a danger, which is, again, the biggest challenge we have to overcome, that everything goes very fast. So that's why even though initial project may take, like I mentioned, uh, 10 to 12 weeks, usually when client really realizes that this is really a massive opportunity for a transformational change of the world of operations into digital, uh, they, they start to react very fast, and they, in many cases, are willing to change even the methodology of how they do things dialed than before and willing to take more risk to see faster the ways the business benefits could be realized. And um, that's, that's how it's been in the market. Again, it really status quo is the biggest enemy at this point. That's just not our company. I think anybody who is in business of doing practical type of implementations that do impact how the way businesses uh, operate uh, probably facing very similar challenges as we are. As we discuss this uh, question, could you please describe how do you deliver your product? Um, like deli- uh, how delivery actually happens? Uh, what stages do you have? Uh, uh, Who is involved in that process? So the product has um, two ways that it gets enabled in client. So it's um, available on a cloud. And it's also available what we call on-premise, which is essentially a deployment within the firewall of the, a particular commercial institution that has a relationship with us. And uh, because it's cloud-first product, in a lot of cases, it allows to uh, client to have more benefits when it's available as the cloud uh, delivery or in a hybrid-based deployment where it uses infrastructure on-premise and in cloud to uh, get things to go faster as well as to be more efficient with the resources. Um, that's on, the, on how it gets deployed. And then uh, in traditional sense, it, it's very similar to how you would get any other project uh, with the technology that you acquire. Uh, if you were to have Workfusion to work with, for example, accounts payables department, which process invoices today, uh, it would need to require some integration with the tools uh, that already exist today, right? So, however, unlike traditional ways uh, where it's done using APIs or making a requirement for the IT teams to create APIs, Workfusion has this another component called probiotic process automation, which is a feature of Workfusion that allows you to essentially kind of what people do, right? And if you think about it, uh, it's just it's just effectively when people do process and invoice, there is very 
few things they do with the invoice and very few screens they use out of the SAP application that they need to touch to process that invoice. And because of that, the integration by scraping what people do from the screen becomes significantly faster exercise uh, compared to if you were to build an API which would integrate with the SAP system to do the same. And it can be done in days, literally, in hours in some cases. So that technology of WorkFusion now is used to configure the interaction with the user screen as how people would do this so that the data can be brought in into the WorkFusion where it can be then, with the help of people, be used as a, as a way to create a machine training data set and then put back into the system, if you will, for the same use of this robotic process automation technology so that it just kind of clicks uh, the combo boxes and edit boxes on behalf of the person, how the person would have done that. So that makes it to be possible to make a 12-week life cycle for a production deployment, not just for an experiment uh, to show uh, value on some um, esoteric data set. So you actually use existing employees uh, of your customer to train the system, or you got your own uh, crowdsourcing platform where you hire people from a site, from different companies, or probably you outsource crowdsourcing? Uh, how, how this part happens? That's a great question. So in most of the cases, it's really the people who are already in a company that would kind of in the way of you ask the question, would be training the system. But, but they're not really training the system because they're actually doing their work, right? So if somebody, again, to my, back to my example of account payables, needs to process a noise, it means, you know, they've got an email, it has the PDF, have to open it, they have to look where it's from. We're built for worker queue, where uh, people that are working today in that department now would use a different user experience to get an notification that they need to do something. They'll use our own user experience in WorkFusion to do it slightly differently so that it enables WorkFusion to collect insights of how they do the work. And then it, it through this RPA technology, will put it back into the application. So they, they can effectively continuously do the work that they were doing before. Uh, while they do this, they are training the system. So if you think of the way this is done, it's really not a dedicated activity that people have to do. There is some initial training they need to go through to kind of understand how to use WorkVision user experience, but at the end, it's really them continuing to do their jobs as they do them, having WorkVision to learn from that, the insights from how they do this work to start to be able to automate some components of that effort. And then... In some cases, clients do go and say, hey, we would like to use the crowdsourcing because, like I mentioned, there could be significant spikes in volumes uh, towards the end of the month, but they're comfortable that technology is able to do it. They ask for ability to go out and source this from freelance markets. And uh, when, when we say crowdsourcing, we actually mean more than just uh, markets like Mechanical Turks. So there is also could be relationships that the client has with one of the BPO providers that is then would be using WorkFusion technology to do the work within WorkFusion versus doing it uh, whatever way they were doing it in Excel before or whatnot. So if you could bring not only uh, the established marketplaces but also uh, BPOs, and we have a number of examples where it's done, the, where the BPOs also become essentially a labor-filling component into the orchestration of labor that needs to be uh, augmented with that market that BPO enables. 
And uh, do you meet some kind of pushback, for example, when you start uh, uh, integration, you start uh, um, involving existing employees, and you got some kind of uh, like pushback from these employees? Because actually, they what they are doing, they actually killing their workplaces, and they. This is very common um, misunderstanding, I think, of what's really happening. So I think if you think about uh, what Internet right did to uh, jobs, right, so it, it did eliminate a lot of jobs, but on the other hand, it also created a lot of jobs, right? So now we've gotten a new generation of people who become, you know, administrators of this, administrators of that, content editors, content creators, I don't know, copywriters, all the stuff that did not really exist before the internet era, right? So yes, you are thinking of it as that some jobs are really gone, but on the other hand, people who embrace the change, they've, they've gotten to uh, be able to do maybe more interesting things. Because if you think of what these people do, it's really not that exciting. It's very boring. So you go in, you spend four years in the college, you get your degree, then you go get your MBA, and then for the next three years, you look at the statement from the client, and you need to key in the data from the statement into another system that you have, maybe seven systems, because banking has seven similar systems doing the same, so that a client can get a financial report. I, it's not a very exciting job, and there's a lot, a huge turnover for these types of jobs within the banks. And if you think about a new generation of people who, uh, what we call millennials, right, they, they have very little patience for these types of jobs as as compared to what we used to have. And, and because of that, that results in um, you know talent loss for for this company. So that's why. Uh, having to have an opportunity for people to do smarter type of work than, than is uh, what I described they would do, otherwise, is really a good thing. It's a good change. So, yes, some of the people would not be able to understand that, and that's just how the reality of this world is. But the, the significant portion of people see an opportunity as well, and they see it's an opportunity for them to now manage those virtual workers, right? Now manage those processes that... Uh, don't involve them doing the work, but don't, uh, but it do involve robots doing the work, and and so on. So to me, it's really uh, you have to look at the up, upside of this and see really where the opportunity for people who otherwise do extremely boring jobs can be created for them to start to really apply their, uh, you know, their IQ, if you will, right? Apply what they've been taught to do uh, more efficiently. Okay, but like in real cases, let's say like you have multiple customers and they successfully applied your platform and they automated, let's say like 50%, 90% of, uh, of boring work. And now they only need humans to handle exceptions. But like, do you actually see this transformation that people who used to do like, like all this like routine, like boring tasks and then now do more something more intelligent or they just, what, what, yeah, I mean, what, an example, I'll give you an example. So I, I understand your question. So example would be that let's think about the, uh, all of the regulation that happens in the banking sector, right? So I don't know if you're familiar with regulation is, but these are the rules that are imposed by regulating authorities. Uh, like uh, Securities and Exchange Commission and many others who review the work that financial institutions do. So as you can imagine, after the low crisis in 2008 and many uh, many more activities related to anti-money laundering and terrorist activities, there's many more regulations that are coming out every year which are imposing additional scrutiny on what banks need to do, right? And, and if you think from the government perspective, they don't really care how banks do that, right? So to them, it's just something banks must do. 
And if you think from the bank's perspective, to do more, they have to do what? To hire more people, right? Because there's really no simple way to have the technology solutions to do it other than to just simply start doing it with having more people to, to do it. And that is, a, is a where it starts to crack, right? This is where the banks no longer can afford to do 100% compliance anymore. So what happens is that they, they start to do less, they start to do less, they start to do less, they expose themselves to penalties of potential uh, oversights of very risky transactions and things like that. And eventually, uh, they are doing significantly less of what they need to do because they, they just can't afford to hire more. In those cases, what happens is that with these of our technology, once automation of more simplistic cases are done, people are really focused on more complex things. So they are you know, able to process the cases that do require human intelligence. Uh, way beyond uh, what machine learning technology can do today because they're very special cases they require investigation and so on and so on and and they do elevate sort of if you will in a, a stairway of, of the skill because they are forced to now do the work which is in requiring them to be more analytical and uh, better than uh, a bot if you will does this help oh yes it, it sure does Okay, that that makes sense. Um, so so apparently, like you have like a very broad and very clear understanding uh, of the business, this domain, and you have a great understanding of the technology. So, but like in your company, so what, what uh, exactly are you responsible for? Like, what is your role? Uh, I mean, product management, technology. Could could you please like just describe or? Sure. So uh, as the company was started right, six years ago, when the company is small, when there's only two people, uh, the roles are pretty broad. right? And uh, as the evolution of the company have uh, reached uh, where we are right now at this stage, uh, my role have changed a few times. And right now, I'm primarily responsible for research and development product innovation. So what it means is that uh, most of my time is spent in uh, delegating my time in improving the technology which has to do with artificial intelligence, with machine learning, with being able to bring additional use cases on our platform and being able to, like I said, create different forms of more efficient ways of automating different kinds of digital uh, work and creating that uh, horizontal, what we call digital transformation. So we have added just a new product recently which is called... uh, chatbots, which is essentially goes and allows now to, to get into the area of customer engagement, where customer service representatives now uh, are doing this primarily by talking to the client with the chatbot technology. Uh, the client of our customer now can interact via voice or text with the, a bot. And if bot cannot handle it in, in a similar way how we would hand over it to a human uh, for other types of digital work, we can hand it over in a chat-like interface so that the customer service representative can take over and then, in some cases, pass it back to the bot, uh, to a chatbot. And uh, my responsibility is really to come up with these uh, different innovative uh, areas of how we can expand on our vision to truly create in this what we call digital transformation for the operations. And our goal is really to have a completely digital operations world. And operations, I mean, p- people who, you know, work in the back office of the companies to make sure that, you know, that come our responsibility. And the technology enabling of that vision is my direct responsibility, including the product innovation as well as the research and development in areas of uh, machine learning. 
Obviously, you're working not alone. Uh, could you please give some more information about your uh, team uh, and specifically about technical team? What skills acquired there? What roles do you have there? Sure, sure. So the team is quite large. So by standards of a startup, so we are about 80 people in the engineering department and it's quite a significant portion of these people have a data science degree Uh, are essentially experienced in machine learning and some software development. I would say about 10 people in total are working in a data science group that are focused on improving this virtual data scientist technology as well as bringing new ways of solving unsolved problems as well as uh, people are focused on delivering the solution that I mentioned, which is the actual software. It has uh, people, simply developers, and we primarily Java shop, and it's, uh, most of our technology built on Java stack, open source type of um, technology stack. And a lot of uh, the effort also goes into making our solution to be still compatible between this uh, infrastructure and hybrid uh, uh, cloud-based deployments, ensuring that it's really scalable and economically efficient for the clients to adopt. So that's why we have pretty substantial um, what we call DevOps group, which is essentially responsible for creating this infrastructure layer, allowing us to uh, scale very efficiently with the use of the uh, compute capacity that we can get our hands on. So there's three departments, effectively, that are in my oversight, including, in addition to that, the product management, which is all in all, it's about 80 people working uh, across two geographies. Okay. And uh, what would you say to people, to engineers, to developers who now listen to us and uh, they are willing to move uh, closer to artificial intelligence, data science and all these things? Now, let's say they, for example, do some kind of web development, but they mm-hmm. want to shift. What, do, uh, what advice do you have for them? Where, what skills uh, uh, to get? You know, I think it's, it's a great question. I think it's very real. So number one is what I would tell them that it's not a hype. It's no longer um, an esoteric experiment of proving something on some uh, data set that existed uh, tens of years before. It's really becoming something that is very impactful to the, to the clients and impactful in, in ways how it not only affects their revenues and opportunities to create additional business, but also how it helps them to optimize and be are more efficient on the back end. Like, for example, a company called CHOP, which is a very well-known uh, children's company, was able to create uh, what they call a digital advisor, which is essentially like a financial advisor done with the use of artificial intelligence, and that was able to generate uh, about $3.2 billion of new revenue in roughly four months of operation, So, which is an amazing, amazing ways of creating new uh, revenue for the companies in the real world. So it is real, and it, it is really beyond just uh, being able to recognize the images and recognize the voice. It's, it's available in practical forms, and uh, people who are thinking of that not to be something that is worthwhile kind of getting into, I think, uh, should, should if, real, if their heart is with this, really try to understand what it is and how, how they can do it. So I encourage them to join the company that is doing something very practical, that is Uh, if they understand what the company does, is they think to be a useful thing for the client base, and uh, 
in, obviously, we are a business-to-business company, so we are much less focused what the consumers want, but uh, we understand what the big enterprises want. So then for them specifically to get to that, uh, I think there's a number of different roles within any uh, software company that uh, works with machine learning technology to get to understand it. So we have a number of people who moved from software development over to be part of the data science group. And it's just, it doesn't, you don't really have to be a data scientist to start to contribute to that work, even though it's preferred to have a strong mathematical degree, uh, because it just helps to understand what the real data scientists kind of tell you in some cases, uh, because they kind of speak a different language. And, and, and you could just start to apply your skills that you acquired in software development to adopt the uh, innovation that's coming from the data science team into the software, and that's probably the easiest way to see how it machine learning can make an impact. As far as creation of new algorithms, I think this should stay with academia, and it should be something that they are good at, and they've gotten a lot of funding to be able to do that. I think there's only very few companies who today can afford to hire their own substantial, impactful data science teams. I mean, you guys all probably know that those are like Facebooks and Googles and Microsofts of the world. The rest. I think should stay practical and just adopt the research that's already done in academia for the practical areas of their um, interest uh, of building the business. So it's still a bit harder problem to do uh, if you are just a web developer. But again, there are ways to get into this um, by working with uh, the group of people who understand how to do it. I would say that's probably the most practical way to, to get to experience it. Wow, that was great. <laughs> I could I couldn't say better. So wonderful. So and yeah, as you said, so yeah, the technology is real and the market is real. And obviously again, like WorkFusion is not the only company, there are some other competitors and there is like again a huge competition. So the first question is probably uh, so do you consider yourself, I mean WorkFusion as one of the leaders uh, in this domain, in this market? And uh, the second question is, like, what is the difference? Like, what is your competitive advantage compared to uh, other competitors, other companies growing in this market? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so I think first we need to establish what the market is, right, to really give you this um, answer. So, again, WorkFusion is not an esoteric technology which can apply artificial intelligence to any field, right? You cannot use WorkFusion to recognize on a video uh, of the you know, security camera where this is intruder or not, right? That is not how you can take workfusion out of the box and apply. You can potentially do this, uh, but that would be a project. So the way that workfusion is really deployed is, uh, I mentioned to you, in the world of these operations, right, where there are people who primarily work with tons of unstructured data that answer the emails, answer phone calls, you know, look at the documents, move the data between different screens and perform all these supporting functions in the group that's called operations. And uh, when you make a phone call, your account, if you want to get a new uh, I don't know, phone, or you want to order iPhone 7, somebody picks up your call, th- th- there is an activity that's going to happen before the phone ships to you, right? Somebody has to put an order in, has to be approved, it has to go through the system, has to hit the billing system, and all of that is done a lot with the use of the uh, meant to really play into. It's the marketplace of the operations where we are on a mission to transform what is not digital today into the completely digital uh, world. And that comes 
obviously with the practical ways of how we achieved it. And we, we, we talked a little bit about how product does it, but um, the other companies which are in the AI space, they are not really uh, applicable to what we do neither because they focus on very, very different things. And in many cases, they focus on a consumer-based uh, products where they make something better for a consumer. I don't know, they can color your photograph in, in you know, hair color or breath fit or whatnot. That's not a practical use of our technology neither. So in our space, we do consider ourselves to be a leader. There is uh, not just us, but there is also analysts like Gartner, Everest, and HFS, and many others, which do consider us in our space of the what they call intelligent automation to be the market leader for that market. And we continue to innovate to stay ahead. Uh, obviously, there are other companies who are looking to do what we do and achieve similar level of success. And uh, we are grateful for that because the market cannot exist with one player. And the fact that these other companies are really emerging and, and creating a competitive situation is really something that we are very we were very hopeful for and now we are pleasant to be in because it allows us to actually have much easier conversations with our clients where we don't need to explain why we just us doing this as they can see there is more than us, and it's just we just can focus on our benefits and our advantages versus uh, explaining what the marketplace is about. And where uh, is this market uh, is moving? Uh, can you say a couple of words about the future? How do you see it? I think it's never going to be 100% digital because you always would have exceptions. You always have complex cases. You always would need people to um, make decisions. You'll need people to manage what, uh, you know, this machine learning algorithms do and all, all of that. So, however, I think it's going to be significantly less than it is now. And I think it could be by far less than what it was five years ago. So that's why looking in the future, uh, I think, this is the market we continue to play in, and, and we are striving to have more industries to embrace our technology, uh, to really embrace and overcome the status quo I mentioned of being a bit afraid of what it can do and kind of get to see the power and, and exponential growth it can deliver for this step change type of um, innovative transformation. Thank you so much, Andrew. That was great talk. Um, we're coming to the end. Uh, do, you, do we have anything we didn't uh, speak about uh, you wanted to mention? I think it's, it's been a, a great uh, questionnaire. And I think, again, from our perspective, we ask more people to consider their artificial intelligence and if you are an IT person or you're a developer or somebody who is thinking of this technology or these types of technologies to be a hype, I do encourage you to overcome that. Okay, what is the opportunity where I can create with the use of this technology much faster way or much more intelligent or much more accurate approach to the real problem that a potential either consumer or enterprise business can have. So uh, for developers, it's very exciting because there's a lot that's going on and um, it's number of frameworks that have emerged in the last 18 months alone is amazing. Every major company have come up with their own ways to use what's called deep neural, which is a new, really truly new way of uh, deploying neural nets which learn from unsupervised data sets. So this technology has continued to innovate at incredible speed. And uh, I'll say embrace this, get on a train, 
get going with it and essentially uh, enjoy as, as you do it because that is the biggest major shift um, along with this conversational technology that is also taking the world that's going to happen in the next 10, 10 years, I think. Amazing. Again, thank you so much, Andrew. Uh, dear listener, listeners, we love your comments. Please go to ctocast.com or iTunes and leave your feedback. Even if you don't like anything, please go and just write it. It's our fuel and uh, that's actually what keeps us going uh, forward at, uh, with this podcast. Thank you so much and don't forget to subscribe. Bye. Subscribe.